RMA would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Dharawal people. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people listening today. It's not for everyone, but I'm a bit of a spiritual person and I... um, I'll go back later, I'll tell you about the ceremony that we had for my grandma, but um, I made a deal with her that she could send me little signs from the other side and like just little simple things like a feather or butterflies are big things in my family. Um, And it seems that when I'm running, the signs are the signs are like I'm more likely to see a sign from my grandma when I'm running than when I'm not running so I just train lots and lots so I can get these little these little signs from her yeah hello welcome to another episode of the RMA podcast I'm so excited that you've joined me again today Today on the podcast, I have a very special guest, Alira Jennings. Alira has been part of the RMA network for so long now, pretty much since the beginning. I remember Alira posting in the group early in 2013 when she just started out on her own running journey. And in fact, we talk about a lot of things in this conversation and refer to some of the things that she'd posted in our network and how RMA had helped her along the way. Alira is a very special Indigenous woman. She is a Kangarakan Gurindji woman. I probably said that wrong, but we did talk about this in the podcast. She probably pronounces that way better than I do. But I wanted to make sure that this podcast is celebrating her Indigenous culture. Alira talks a lot about how she was raised and born and bred up in the Northern Territory and how she, uh, you know, was influenced by people in her culture and in her life, particularly um, on her running journey. She began running in 2013 after her late grandmother passed away from diabetes. And we talk about her relationship with her grandmother a lot through this podcast. She has formed a huge part of Alira's running journey and who she is today. Alira's grandmother was part of the Stolen Generation and she has survived so many things throughout her life was a strong woman and Alira learned so much from her and I guess today she wants to share her story and how this influenced her. Alira began her journey to running marathons I guess uh, in 2013 when her grandmother had passed away. She joined the Indigenous Marathon Project and she ran her first marathon in New York City. Fast forward to now, Alira is the first Indigenous Aboriginal woman in Australia to have completed all six world major marathons. After this initial 2014 journey running New York, she funded, self-funded her way to all of the five other world majors around the world. And she's just incredible. Like she just has put her hand to so many things and shown so many people along the way what's possible when you really want to work hard for something She also has founded special groups in her own communities where she lives in the Northern Territory, such as the Darwin Deadly Runners. And she's just a really special individual. I really love this conversation. As you can tell from it, she's very witty, lighthearted, and just a joy to talk to. 
So let's not dilly-dally anymore. Let's get straight into it. I want to introduce you to Alira Jennings. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Hi, Alira. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi. No, she's all shy. (laughs) I'm I'm so excited that you're here today because I've been asking you to come on this podcast for a while. And um, you were a bit hesitant at first. Why do you think you were hesitant to come on? Tell me. Um, I'm I'm a quiet person. I'm a humble person. I think people who know me find it really hard to believe that because I'm very, um, I can be very excitable, uh, but there's a part of me that is really quite, I'm a bit of a homebody. I'm humble. I don't like to, you know, wow, look at me, you know, I'm great. Um, even the interviews that I have done on the radio and the and online have have taken a, a big toll on me. So, um, yeah, I'm just a quiet person. I'm a reserved person, yeah. So you're a little bit more of maybe an introvert. So all the attention takes a lot of energy out of you. Yeah, 100%. And the, and of course, with getting my story out, there has been maybe a 1% negative. And those comments really do hit me hard. So, um, and I, I am a, I'm a perfectionist. I'm really hard on myself. So when I when I do interviews and when I talk, I go, I go back and evaluate on myself and I go, oh, maybe people will misinterpret how I said that. Or maybe when I said that, I sounded disingenuous. And so then I just beat myself up about it. It's just easier not to do the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I feel really privileged that you're here doing it with me. Um, and I think that, you know, I do, I really do. And I think as, as well, so thank you for coming on because as well, RMA was a part of your story and uh, in and part of, I guess, forming oh, that yeah. relationship with running. So I, I I think it's a fabulous platform for you to share because not only was it part of your story, um, and we'll get into how it was, um, but it it is going to speak into the lives of many many women who listen to this, and there is a lot who do listen. Trust me. Um, thousands who listen actually and <laughs> no pressure there but um, th- I'm sure there's women listening who were just like you that will learn from your story and so I get people on this podcast that have a story to tell everybody has one everybody um, but your story is really intriguing um, not just because of your background and where you grew up and some of the things that we'll discuss today, but just the kind of person you are because you are just a humble everyday woman like a lot of people who don't really want to have the limelight 
But I think mm-hmm. what people will learn from your journey is important. So thank you. I really know that this is quite hard for you to do. So I do um, value your time and appreciate you being here. So let's get into it. Um, before we get right into everything, I just want you to tell the listeners where you are from and mm-hmm. who are you? Okay. Um, my name's Alira Ludwig is my maiden name. I'm now happily married and my married name is Alira Jennings. I um, am a Kungarikan and Gurindji woman from the Northern Territory and my Kungarikan name is Kuriel and my skin name is Nungari. Yeah. Oh. So a, a bit about those. Um, my tribes are both freshwater people from inside the Northern Territory. Um, my Kungarikan tribe is from the Bachelor area just outside of Darwin. And, um, and of course, uh, Gurindji is out at Wave Hill, out at Wave Hill Station. Yeah. Great. Oh, I love that you shared that because that just paints a yeah. really good picture of where you are from. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, fun fact, the new reusable bags that are in Woolworths now, they um, I think they're called Nangala Creative. So just by going that on the skin name, um, Nangala is what my skin name of daughters that I would have or my sister's children, uh, Nangala. So, um, yeah, fun fact, when you see those, um, with the new plastic bags at Woolies that they're Nangala Creative, which would be my daughter or my nieces. Oh, I love that. That's really yeah. cool. I will, I will remember that now when I see the bags. <laughs> yeah, I always think of it when I see them too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And, you know, you've been part of our network for a very long time. In fact, pretty much since the beginning, really, when I look back, I was looking back to prepare for this podcast at posts because I can search back and see when your first posts were and they were around 2013, 2014 and Mm -hmm. we started in 2013. So you have been part of the RMA journey for years and years and not that you're stuck on Facebook all the time. We know that that's not really your platform of choice at the moment but you have and you do still continue to go on there and post in the group when you feel it's necessary. So thank you for sharing your story in there. Yeah, um, no. I have, I have lifelong friends from RMA. Um, it was funny, one of the posts that you mentioned in the lead up, and it was with a, another RMA lady, Belinda Clout. And we're still we're still firm friends. I saw her and hung out with her just last year on the sunny coast. And oh. it was lifelong friendships and connections. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's great and that's why it exists right so that we can have those um with people that understand what we do as runners but not everybody does as we know um <laughs> but let's get into like your family so like how many kids do you have um I have two kids two boys they are um 18 and 11 and I'm a bit of a Brady Bunch at the moment. I my my husband has two kids as well, and they both they live with us as well. So they're also eighteen and fifteen now. Wow. Yeah, 
got a Brady Bunch going on. Um, blended families. No one's tried to seriously harm one another yet, <laughs> or that we know of. Um, yeah. yeah. So all of the all of the added trials and tribulations of having a blended family, teenagers, and uh, a big family. Yeah, there's six of us. Yeah. And that would be, you know, a lot of testing the waters, I imagine, especially with teenage. Are they all boys, did you say? <laughs> the boys. two 18-year-olds are a boy and a girl. Thankfully, okay. they like each other. And, yeah, the others, they're all boys, yeah. Yeah, so busy. So the big girl, the big girl, Charlotte, she's the rose amongst the thorns. <laughs> I bet she is. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, well, let's talk a little bit about motherhood because you were a young mum. You mentioned it to me when we were preparing for today. So how old were you when you had your first baby? Uh, I was pregnant when I was 18 and I had Francis when I was 19. So I was still just a baby. At the time, of course, I thought that I was this big woman and that I'd had it all sorted out. But you look back now as a mum and you go, oh, I was just a baby. Yeah. Yeah, so I was a baby. Was that hard? Like what was that time like for you as a young mum? It was it was really tough. I was a single mum, so, of course, I had all of the additional things of society looking down on you as a young mum plus a single mum. I had a lot of support from my mum. Uh, it's so much so that when Francis called me mum he also called my mum mum because I called her mum and then later on when I had Lucian and I was 24 I'm gonna say uh yeah it was a completely completely different experience yeah Mm -hmm. yeah wow I mean, it's so good that you had your mom. Like, not 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 everybody has that right. But do you have like a close family? And were you, oh, yeah. were you in Darwin then? Were you in Darwin when you had your kids? Like, where were you living at the time? Francis was born in Cairns. I um I was born and bred in Darwin, but I did my senior years in Cairns. Mm-hmm. And um, Lucian was born in Catherine. Yeah, so I am very lucky. My mom is a massive support network for me. I understand some other mums don't have that um, special relationship or that support from their mums, but I'm really glad that I have the support from my mum. And, mm-hmm. um, and of course, being, in, being Indigenous, it's not unlike us to have three generations in one house living most of the time. So I did have that support network, yeah. Which is really, which was really, really great. Yeah. It was the support work that I grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we wanted you to come on the podcast also because you have just become the first Aboriginal woman to have run all the six world major marathons. So congratulations. Thank that you. is such a huge achievement for anyone um, to finish the world majors. Um but I think it's really, really special that you are the first Aboriginal woman to do this. There's, there's already been an Aboriginal man who um, has completed this as well. Um, yeah, Charlie Ma. Yeah, last year, was it? Yeah. Yep. Um, but, like, so excited that a mum was the first one to complete it this year um, after you finished 
Boston only like what a week ago <laughs> so um we really wanted it to, to be fresh in your mind um and not only that you know it's not that long ago you ran your fifth one so for those that are listening on um the world major marathon series um is consists of six world major marathons the first one in New York there's one in Chicago there's one in Berlin London Tokyo and Boston um, so that is a lot of marathons. I mean, six marathons is more marathons than anyone can probably think of in their lifetime. Um, you know how hard it is to run a marathon just to do one marathon. So it's amazing that you've done six. I'm sure you've done more than six and we'll talk about that. But I think that um, to be able to go with the logistics of going overseas and training and leaving family, because not everyone gets to take their family with them for these things. Um, that's a huge achievement. Um, so I really wanted to talk to you about that today. That's not the only thing we're going to talk about, though. So I just wanted to go back to um, when you started running first. So when did running enter your life? Um, as in 2013, I um, my grandma was unwell and she passed away. And at the time, I was quite large. I was almost 110 kilos. And being with her at the hospital when she was um, starting to deteriorate and just before she went into hospice care was a bit of a turning point for me. I hadn't, I was definitely not a runner before then. And I was unfortunate enough but also fortunate enough to be there when the doctors were telling her that um, that she was going to go to hospice, that she wasn't going to be let out from hospital. Um, and just listening to her wanting more time and fighting and begging the doctor and saying, you know, what, if, what am I doing wrong with my diabetes care? You let me know and I will stop doing it immediately. Or if I'm not doing something right, you tell me and I'll change that because she just didn't feel like it was her time. And just watching her and listening to her have that idea that she wanted to fight and that she wasn't willing to give up. And But on the other side of that, I was... Um, literally just eating my life away. Um, having that realisation was when I decided that I was going to start. I didn't think I'm going to go and run a, run a marathon. I went, I'm going to honour the body that I have and I'm not going to eat my life away and I'm just going to use the gifts that I've got and so to start out with, I was just walking three kilometres to, to work each day. I was quite large. I was 107 kilos. So just that movement of walking three kilometres each day had the weight dropping off. And as the weight was dropping off, I would um, add in little bits of shuffle, I call it, because it's not really a run. Um but I would just start shuffling 50 metres and just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And as the more I moved, 
the better I ate and the more weight came off, the more I could start to shuffle longer periods. Yeah. So I definitely wasn't always a runner. Uh, I've never been a, a really quick sprinter. I was half decent at the 800 growing up in primary school and high school. Um, but before then, before that realisation, I'd never actually paid any mind of being a runner or wanting to run. Mm. Yeah, I kind of fell into it by accident, noted that I'd had a personal ability that allowed me to do it and just kind of stuck to it and it got better and better. Yeah. Mm. It's good that you recognise that. I mean, before that happened though and you were living you were living obviously a different lifestyle and the impact of having your grandmother pass away from diabetes essentially or complications to do with diabetes obviously had a major impact on you and at that time of your life before she passed away like from I guess when you were younger till then like what do you think it was that just didn't work out for you in terms of the way you were living your life why do you think that you know what do you think how did it eventuate I guess that you were 110 kilos almost and that you were living that kind of lifestyle I feel like I possibly was desensitized to it you I my grandma really treated her body well you know she um, always she gave up smoking she wasn't a drinker she'd always I remember some of my earliest memories were watching my grandma checking her blood sugar levels you know and and I think watching her because she did it so often and she took like on the flip side she was taking so good care of herself but watching her have diabetes and then knowing that my grandma's sisters, who I call grandmas as well, were diabetic and then my family, my dad had diabetes. Mm-hmm. I had this mindset that it wasn't if I get diabetes, it was when. And it sounds really awful when I look back on it, but it was just like kind of like, oh, my grandma sews my mum sews, so I'm okay at sewing as well. I, I feel like that was that was part of it. Then there's also that I, I do recognise that I can put on calories by looking at cake. I have that lovely body type that just looking at something makes me put on weight, mm-hmm. uh, which I think a lot of our a lot of mum runners out there um, mm-hmm. can attest to that. Um, and I do have an unhealthy relationship with food. I, it is, um, if I'm happy, I eat. If I'm sad, I eat. And all of those all added up kind of got me to the bad situation that I was in. I don't think it was one or more. I think it was a... The multi levels of all of those playing together, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, people listening would just be totally relating to a lot of things that you've just said. Um, and it not only is diabetes an issue um, 
just for Indigenous people. It's an issue for everyone. Like there's so many people. But unfortunately, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are have a higher likelihood of getting diabetes. Um, and also, um, they're t- they're, well, from statistics I read that um, in the remote Northern Territory, Aboriginal people aged like basically 20 to 29 so under 30 are 26 times more likely to be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes which is just a huge statistics um and being overweight or obese isn't really the only cause as well so I guess you know you were lucky to recognize that your life unfortunately through um the sad loss of your grandmother needed to change um and I think by you sharing your story is and probably will make an impact on a lot of people, a lot of Indigenous people who listen and follow on as well. Um, I guess when you started out, that wasn't probably in the back of your mind that you were wanting to create this awareness for everyone, but it was more just for you, right, and your own personal journey and story. Um, you know, and did- I, I think it goes across many levels, um, and it may not even just be diabetes, but it's breaking generational curses that go in in our families you know it it may not be with diabetes but we might say that you know I don't have to be that generational hat trick I can do something better yeah yeah not just accepting the cards that are going to be dealt to us to go no I just I want something different yeah yeah and I mean, it's all about taking that first step, right? So you did, and I'm sure it was really uncomfortable at the time when you were 107 kilos walking to work. Um, but then when the weight started dropping off, it got easier and easier. And I guess the more she shuffled, the more you started to break into a run and it got easier and easier. Um, so like, when was your first experience, I guess, once you started to think, oh, this running thing's great, I'm loving it, I'm fun and I'm seeing results and I actually want more from this experience what was your first say did you enter a running event or something that um, yeah I I remember the exact moment that I had the idea that I could run a marathon Um, I have shared it before but it's it was just a light bulb moment and um, it was a it was around May 2013 had been a couple of months since my grandma passed away and I'd been doing my 3k walks to work and my 50 meter shuffles Mm -hmm. and um at the time I was living in Catherine but I went up to Darwin and I was staying at my dad's place and he lives about a kilometer away from the shop and I'd woken up early super early nobody else was awake and I thought oh I'll go up to the shops and I'll get my dad the the Territorian breakfast it's an iced coffee (laughs) and and a newspaper um so off I trotted it and I uh, it was just a kilometer so I was like oh you know I'll I'll trot up there and I say trot not run Uh, I know jog is a dirty word so I trotted (laughs) and shuffled up to the shops and I got there and I was feeling quite good and I thought, oh, I'll just keep on shuffling to the next set of lights, um, which if we have any listeners they in Dar- who have been to Darwin, that's the Marara lights. 
And I got to the Marara lights and I went, oh, you know, I'm feeling really good. I'm, the first time I've been running in Darwin, it's new scenery. So, and it's pretty downhill. I'll just run to the airport lights. Off I trotted and still hadn't had a walk break. I was still running, like running inverted commas nonstop. And I got to the airport lights and I went, oh, you know, like just a little bit further is the old cemetery in Darwin. And, uh, oh, you've got a few mob buried there. I'll just keep on, I'll run past, I'll run up and I'll, you know, greet and pay my pay my respects. And so I got to the cemetery and it was at the bottom of a hill and I kind of went, oh, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna run up. I'm just gonna keep running. And I passed the cemetery, got all the way up to the top of the hill, which is a hill for Darwin, not really a hill for you guys down south. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I got all the way up to uh, Bagot Road. And I'd been shuffling the entire way and I hadn't stopped for a walk. It was nonstop moving at that point. And um, I finally stopped at Bagot Road Lights and every single muscle in my body seized up. And I went, oh, no, I didn't bring my phone and I didn't tell my dad or anyone where I was going. And I went, oh, bugger, I'm going to have to shuffle back home now. (laughs) Off I went. Um, It was completely nonstop running all the way up. But going back, I had to, you know, slow things down a bit because this was my longest distance at that time and my longest non-run, non-stop running. Mm. And um, all up all up I measured and it was about 12 k's so yeah six k's up and 12 k's back and um my dad (laughs) he lived in this upstairs downstairs house so I had to haul myself up the stairs and basically just fell through the front door Uh and sitting he was sitting at the table and he goes oh where'd you just come from and I was half dead by then and I was like, I just I just ran up to Bagot Road and back and he looked surprised. I was still quite big at that time. It had only been three months, so I think I was maybe just shy of a hundred kilos then. Wow. And, um yeah, and um my dad just looked shocked. I still hadn't had his newspaper or the office copy for him. Um but I, I asked him, I said, Dad, how many kilometres in a marathon? And he goes, 42, love. And just in that moment, my I the plant, the seed was planted and I went, you know, I can do that. I can do that. Mm-hmm. If I can run that far without a program, without a coach, I didn't even have a good bra on. Uh, <laughs> I thought if I can do that, I I can run a marathon. Yeah. And then that mindset changed from it was never if I run a marathon or um, it was when. Mm. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Wow. I mean, 
I can just imagine at almost, you know, 100 kilos running 12Ks would have felt really hard, but you did it anyway out of necessity. <laughs> I had to get back. <laughs> what did the days after feel like for you? Probably like you ran a marathon, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. I um, 100%, and I've, I've said it before as well, I, I have run multiple half marathons and I've run a handful now almost 10 full marathons and mm. the the pain that I felt back in those days after I would go to the gym or after I would do a run after so many years of being you know my muscles were really dormant the pain that I feel is equivalent to the full marathon yeah mm. the half marathon kind of doesn't really touch it the same pain is definitely marathon pain yeah did you have any times like because a lot of people start something right they might start running they might start a sport or go to the gym and and they are overweight and it all gets <laughs> too hard because it's too painful did you have any yeah. times during this you know obviously a period of a few years that you so, oh, this is all just too hard. I just want to go back to my old lifestyle. Was there any times like that for you? 100% before this realisation, like when I lost my grandma. Oh, sorry, my cat sneezing. Bless you. Bless <laughs> <laughs> you, cat. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, before, before this particular event, I had... I'd done it a million times. I was, I'm going to start eating healthy on Monday mm. or um, I'm going to start going to the gym. And I'd done it a million times. But this time was just was just different. The, the moments that I had with my grandma, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was just the, it was the spark. It was the kick in the guts that I needed. It was really different. You know, I'd had times where I'd sat in chairs and broken them because I was so big. And this time it was just different. It was just the, yeah, it was just different. So I'd lost like the 30 kilos um, in about 10 months and, and kept it off. You know, it, it, it is always a struggle um, I do put weight on, I lose weight again, and it will just be a lifetime struggle for me, but running keeps it in check. Mm, yeah. So only a year after you started running, you ran your first marathon when you travelled to New York City to run the marathon with the Indigenous Marathon Project. So Let's talk about that because that was the start of the catalyst, I guess, the start of what this journey to your sixth world major. Um, so tell us firstly how that came about and what that experience was like for you, training up to it and, and competing. Yeah, so I um so after my grandma passed away January 2013, um I lost all of that weight and maintained it and kept it off and then in 2014 uh, I applied for the marathon project um, at that that time I think 120 people applied and I was lucky enough to be one of the 12 selected mm -hmm. and that was I made the team in April 2014 I still was running, not not the 12K distances <laughs> that I'd done, but I um, made that team and then 
that was yeah April 2014 and then New York November 2014 yeah so I think my first big event running event for me was Gold Coast 2014 yeah yeah um that was I remember back in those days the half marathon was run on the Sunday Mm -hmm. and Robert DeCastella took us on the Saturday morning to go and watch the 5Ks and the 10Ks go. And thank God he did because my mind was just blown. I At the time I was living in Catherine, I think we had about 10,000 people living mm-hmm. in Catherine, give or take. And I think that's how many 10Kers were running that day. <laughs> like it yeah, was- it's huge, right? It's huge. <laughs> blew my mind it blew my mind and then to go to New York in 2014 and run the I think the first bridge we ran over the Verizona bridge is about seven kilometers that was like my entire little town in Catherine you know from one end to the other is only three kilometers Mm. and doing my long runs in Catherine building up to it it was so my long runs were in October in Catherine it was like 40 degrees every single day and I would yeah I would run from one end of town to the other end of town and then I'd go back and then I would I was just doing like little stars Mm -hmm. up and back and up and back and just to get the distances in and then we rock up in New York and the first bridge I ran over would have fitted my tiny little town underneath it. It was, it was just insane. It was crazy. And yeah. That, I would imagine like, so you were living in Catherine at the time when you were training for New York and Catherine um, is, I would imagine, quite flat compared to New York Marathon. So New York Marathon is actually quite hilly for people that have never run there. I've never run the marathon myself, but I know what the course is like and it is quite hilly. So was that a little bit of a shock as well for you coming from training in Catherine? If people always ask me, well, the first thing that people say um, when you say, because all of the majors are in spring and autumn, so people go, oh, lovely times to run a marathon. Yes. Lovely times to run a marathon, not so great times to train in the Northern Territory for them. Um, and I'm never going to be able to train for the hills and for the climate and the, I'm just, yeah, I'm always on the back foot when it comes to that. I can't train very many hills here, but I am used to training in the heat. So um, when I get to these places and it's like four degrees like Tokyo was last month, I barely break a sweat, I feel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it is double-edged, but um, it is what it is. If I waited for perfect time to perfect weather to train for in the Territory, I'd be waiting forever. Mm. Well, let's let's just digress away from New York for a second and talk about I want to talk a little bit more about training in places like Catherine and Darwin and places you have lived in the Northern Territory because, okay, one, you've got the heat, right, Um, which I would beg to say is pretty much all year round. (laughs) For me, I'd feel like it's all year round. Um, 
I guess you're used to it to an extent. But I mean, I'm coaching two girls that live in Alice and it was just, yeah, it's just too hot for them to run in certain times of year outside. Like, so (laughs) did you have access to a gym that you used at all? Um, If I had to train on a treadmill, I think I would just about lose my mind. Um, (laughs) I'm quite fidgety and I think I may have ADHD. So the (laughs) idea of running on a treadmill just... I would go insane. Um, I did grow up in the Territory and when I was in primary school, we didn't have air con and um, our buses had those really hot lino sheets. Yeah. So um, I think I am just acclimatised to it now. Um, but in saying that, I do do things that try to make it better. Yeah. But then yeah. saying that I don't really because, you know, from, um, Lucian has basketball training at 3.30 in the afternoon and I'll run loops and it's pretty much almost the hottest time of the day. <laughs> yeah. You're just crazy, that's all. Well, it's, just, it's born out of a need for necessity. you kind of got to do it, right? If you want to run a marathon, you got to train. So yeah. you just have yeah. to do it. What about like... Um, one of the things that somebody asked in the questions um, when I put this on RMA was what about like wild animals? Like are we afraid of running and having crocodiles nipping at our heels in certain places? (laughs) Like where do you run? Like what's the danger out there? Um, I remember the first week I um, made the marathon project. I actually got bitten by a dog and it was I was on my street and I was walking to my start point um, and I wouldn't even dream of running from my from my home to the start point because the amount of dogs that would chase me and Catherine, mm-hmm. um, I would just be mauled to death. So, <laughs> yeah, remember that, everyone. <laughs> dogs, yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've noticed down south, you guys have like strong, like you get your weather warnings for thunder and lightning and stuff like that. That's just a usual afternoon in Darwin. Yeah, I've been caught out a few times in lightning storms where the lightning strikes are less than a kilometre away. <laughs> it's, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I Once I was working out at, uh, out at Kalkaringi, and I went, it was Wednesday and I was doing my medium long run. And so my plan was to run from Kalkarindji to Dugaragu and back. Um, it wasn't a, it was just a, it wasn't a road. It was just like a compacted sandy kind of road. And um, I actually got charged by donkeys. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I thought you were going to say. Not, they like charged by a brown snake or something. Not donkeys. 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 And um, it was actually quite scary because out there, there was, it's all shrubby. There's no actually trees that I could have climbed up of. But yeah, I was running along and I heard this noise. It was like someone trying to start up a chainsaw. And I was like, what in the world is that? And 
Um, and then this donkey comes running out of the bushes and I'm like, here, yeah, donkey, 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 donkey. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and then it starts, you know, like digging its hoofs at me. And I was like, oh, wow, this guy's serious. And so I was, again, out there running by myself. I hadn't told anyone where I was going. Oh, well, we're, <laughs> I'm sensing um, a theme here. So I, so I decided I'm going to cut this run short because this is literally out in the middle of nowhere. And um, and so I turned and started to run back the direction that I was coming from, and Eeyore was like calling out really loud, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever, okay, it's fine. I'm going. You know, you can have your shrubs." And and then this other donkey came out from the from the other side, and it was this other guy donkey, and and he was angry at me too. And he was digging his heels in and and making that noise and and I kind of got stuck between the two of them and I was like, oh my god! <laughs> um, and um, so yeah, there was no trees to run up, so I just decided that I was going to make as much noise as possible. And there had been some roadworks out there that and they'd left those high vis posters. So I just started smacking onto that and making lots of noise and they were angry at me, but they were like, oh, she's a little bit crazy as well. Maybe we should just let her keep running. <laughs> and I was afraid by then because um, I needed to get my medium long run done and they were like not having it. So I was frustrated too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So like when you're out running, like I guess – it's good to paint a picture of where people run because I, where I run, like, you know, I've got lots of streets and people um, unless I go onto the trails. But even now where I go mostly is populated around the trails, right? So it's not isolated too much, although you can be isolated in suburbia uh, if yeah. something goes wrong. Um, but out there, I guess you really can be quite isolated quite quickly um, in places like Darwin and Catherine. Um do you take with you, like I guess you said that you hadn't told anyone where you were, but now in hindsight, would you take with you some safety equipment or tell someone where you're going if you did go out and run in places like that? Um, I always take my mobile with me now, but when I was out on that part between Kalkarinji and Dagarogu, it would have been it would have meant nothing because there's no coverage out there. So the because uh, it was like super super isolated. Um, I have honestly, I I have honestly thought about getting one of those little safety rings that you can kind of poke people with because I've had friends who have been attacked while they're running, mm. um, and assaulted really nastily. So I have thought about um buying those and carrying those, but. When I'm running in town during the day, I am um, I carry my mobile with me, yeah. And because I'm running in the heat of the day most of the time, um, it's really boring. But there's a an area that I can do two kilometer loops on. Super boring. Mm. 
it's almost like running on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can have water um, in between each loop. Yeah. And if I get heat exhaustion, it's around people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I have, sometimes I have blood sugar levels where I get funny, like lightheaded. Yes. So I can be close to my car. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they might have to consider like, you know, the safety, I guess, needs depending on where we're running. And like one thing is the remoteness of where you are. And yeah, not only wild animals, but wild people um, that, you know, unfortunately that doesn't, isn't, um, it doesn't stop wherever you live. It, it happens anywhere. Um, but yeah, I guess telling someone where you're going um, and when and when you're expected to return, those kind of things as well. Carrying maybe a GPS device, uh, like a Garmin inReach or something if you are remote so you can have satellite um, emergency yeah. assistance if you need it. Um, mm. But anyway, it's just something I mentioned because there might be people listening that live out remote like you that um, haven't even considered that um, before. Um, so yeah. It's important to note. But going back to Indigenous Marathon Project, um, can you just sort of tell people, like, why did you choose to sign up to that and not, I guess, just choose to run, the, I don't know, the Sydney Marathon or something? Um, so what was it that made you choose to do the Indigenous Marathon Project and what sort of did that involve in terms of what 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 did that look like in terms of did they just give you an online program? Was there a lot of um on the ground stuff like what sort of yeah I think um when I first started I was actually living out at Numbawa which is again super isolated (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. about um two and a half hours drive from Darwin about 800 900 kilometers from Darwin yeah and I remember reading the newspaper and it had Charlie Ma in in there and the the three other lads that were training to go and run New York and it just really blew my mind because I just I'd never seen back then I'd never ever seen an Indigenous person training long distance running Mm. and I wanted to be a part of the movement that challenged people's perceptions you know um I wanted when when people see white guys running we say oh they're running and when people see black people running they go what did they steal what are they running from Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be a part of something that challenged those views and would in turn make it safer for people running yeah. My son is quite dark. His father's Papua New Guinean. So with my Aboriginal and the PNG, he's beautiful. He's lovely dark skin. He's got a big curly afro. Mm-hmm. And when he goes running, I'm absolutely terrified mm-hmm. because I know when people see people of brown colour running, they think that they've stolen something or they're running from something Mm. um it's not a good nice feeling as a mum you know worrying when your child goes out running so I think I just wanted to be a part of this movement that was bringing light to and challenging views yeah Mm. I still 
And it's it's universal. It's not something to I'm not ashamed of saying. I say quite um, honestly, hand on heart, the first time I saw an Indigenous guy running, I was absolutely amazed. I followed him in my car because I'd never seen an Indigenous guy running before. I thought it was, it was like, to me, it was like an alien running. Mm. I was amazed and surprised and in awe all at the same time. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like in other countries, you'll see people riding everywhere from, um, from work and they can't afford a car, but they're riding everywhere. But in Australia, it's, you know, we have a car, but if we're really rich, we'll have a really fast bicycle as well. Right. It's kind of double-sidedness. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So sorry, I've kind of gone off track there. No, but- I love that. I love that you share that because I've actually never considered that before. That, yeah, like, I mean, I haven't actually stood to watch people running along and thinking there was anything other than them just running but I guess that's so true that people would think that like that is just what people may think and maybe it is more pronounced where you live even um obviously but um yeah yeah when I lived in Catherine everyone walked to go to the shops um and everyone walked because not everyone afforded a car you know and but no one really walked for uh, so sorry when I say everyone I mean indigenous so indigenous Melbourne Catherine walk everywhere because they don't necessarily all own cars but mm. it's not walking for health and fitness yes yeah so it's it's that double-sidedness stuff yeah yeah so have you noticed like well quickly just digress have you noticed a change since when you started in 2014 running oh, yeah. to now with indigenous people running <laughs> yeah without a doubt like the the indigenous marathon project has had this massive ripple effect where people in communities growing up see their families like people in their family running and it, it's kind of like I think of it as imagine going imagine going out to a community where no one had ever seen a bagpipe before mm-hmm. and you just go out into the middle of the street which is you know like or go to the shop where everyone is and you just start playing the bagpipe everyone's going to be going oh my god look at that bagpipe playing like what is that noise what is that thing oh my god it's so weird yeah but if you grew up and your dad played the bagpipe or your neighbor played the bagpipe or you grew up and your grandpa played the bagpipe it wouldn't be such an alien thing for you mm-hmm. so the marathon project has brought that to aboriginal and torres strait islander communities like we see people running and we go oh the dog's not chasing them or oh no they're not running away from something they're running for help mm. and just seeing that has has changed things as starting as who this uh, a whole new dynamic yeah mm. that's great 
So when you finished that New York marathon, what kind mm-hmm. of feelings went through your mind? Obviously, uh, you'd started from nowhere and, you know, sadly lost your grandmother. You'd trained really hard and you'd flown all the way to the other side of the world and run a marathon. What was going through your head when you crossed that line? Um, I when I remember running the half marathon in on the Gold Coast and I just because when I'd finished I still had so much in the tank left and I went you know uh, half marathons uh, are great and but it's it wasn't it wasn't going to be enough for me like I needed to feel absolutely depleted to be happy so I think July that year I knew that I was going to be running more than one marathon yeah Mm -hmm. I when you're a part of the marathon project you're not guaranteed a spot to go to New York or to go to the marathon Um, you have to you have to train your ass off and you have to make your place on the team Mm -hmm. so Coming, I think my tryout was in September, October, um, and you had to convincingly run 30 kilometres um, and prove to the coach and to Robert that you were able to complete a marathon because there's no point taking you all the way over there if you haven't trained properly. So um, making that team was a really special moment. I ran my I ran my butt off. Um, <laughs> I ran the 30 kilometres in two hours, 54, something like that. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I was I was beating everybody to get a spot. I was like, don't stand between me and my ticket. I'm <laughs> going. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So when I did finish um, New York, that year it was it was absolutely terrible. You ask anyone who lives in New York who has run New York, 2014 was the absolute worst year. <laughs> it had snowed the night before. Um, okay. Yeah, it was, I think it was like seven degrees. The, the wheelchair race actually started seven kilometres shy on the other side. They didn't start at Staten Island. They started in Brooklyn because... It was so windy that day, they were worried that people would be pushed over in their wheelchairs when they went across the bridge. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was hell. It was hell. Um, so I, I finished uh, I finished New York and that year was my fastest. It was four hours and 21 minutes. And so immediately after that, the first thing I was thinking of was a hot chocolate and a bath a warm bath to um and New York was really special so I did actually end up going back there in 2017 with traveling fit um because yeah out on course it was it was just amazing it was so different it was my first time overseas in a big city and I was booked yeah yeah, I was hooked. And was things like memories and moments about with you and your grandmother like going through your mind as you were running through the streets of New York? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
it's not for everyone, but I'm a bit of a spiritual person and I, um, I'll go back later. I'll tell you about the ceremony that we had for my grandma, but um, I made a deal with her that she could send me little signs from the other side mm. and like just little simple things like a feather or butterflies are big things in my family. Mm. Um, and it seems that when I'm running, the signs are the signs are like I'm more likely to see a sign from my grandma when I'm running than when I'm not running. So I just train lots and lots so I can get these little these little signs from her. Yeah. Mm, that's so cool. So when you're running with the Indigenous Marathon Project starting out, um, did you meet any other, like, obviously participants of the project? Do you want to, like, <laughs> mention anyone's, in, in particular, anyone's story maybe that you formed connection with that maybe have lasted even to now? I don't know. Like, anyone you particularly want to mention? Yeah. No, the um, I've been at home with COVID, so I actually rang up Sarah, uh, Sarah Landers, who was a part of my squad in 2014, and just out of nowhere, and we talked for an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, <laughs> like the connections cool. that you have with your squad that year, I think they're their lifetime their lifetime connections yeah we're all from different parts of Australia we're all from different clans um and all really really different people but the the journey from start to finish really does cement you as a group of siblings yeah I call them my brothers and sisters mm. yeah yeah so um <clears throat> And when they have, a few of them have gone on and gotten married and had children and it feels like your siblings are having, getting married and it feels like you're having nieces and nephews now. So we're all really that close, yeah. I wouldn't say, it's of course, as in friend circles, you have friends that you kind of chill with more, but um yeah, no, the they're like family. Mm, I love that. Well, you've gone through something really special and life changing together. You know, something that did change your life. I mean, this. It's funny when you look back at things and why they happen and and where the path, where the journey takes you. And obviously, when you ran New York, or when you ran even the half marathon, the goal, because you knew that wasn't it for you. You wanted to run a marathon. Then you ran New York and then you wanted to obviously do another one. I mean, did, was it straight away that you were like, I'm going to do another marathon or were you like, I want to run on another world major team, uh, a world major event, I should say? Um, yeah. Is like, and, and I will say too, you didn't run with the Indigenous Marathon Project on any of your other world majors. This was just the first one, New York. You funded, self-funded and got yourself around the world to do all the others. Um, but, yeah. like, when did you think, mm, I think I'm just going to go and do all six? <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, I will, I will add that. the when you, when you finish the marathon with the Marathon Project, you become a, a graduate. and 
that's just kind of a nice way of um, getting kicked out of the nest. (laughs) (laughs) Off you go. (laughs) We're all mums here. We can say it, you know. It's great having kids, but when there's over a 100 of you, you have to grow up and leave the nest. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, that was actually one of the questions that was in there. I did go back and run New York again and all of the other trips I do are are self-funded. I go with Travelling Fit, the the tour agency, and it does does cost a lot of money, but it was just I I went to the expo in New York in 2014 and the six majors wasn't really as big as what it was back then, Mm. Uh, but they gave me a key ring. I still have the key ring. And they said, oh, you get an extra medal if you run the six. And I'm a sucker for a free banana and a, and a shiny medal. So I was like, oh, well, wow, that's a great deal, you know, six international marathons and I get an extra medal and it has stars on it. And I just went, sounds like a great deal. But I... <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't even got one medal yet, world major. I was supposed to have New York. Still hasn't happened because of COVID. Um, but, like, yeah. good on you to get all six. I mean, that is hard. Like, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you because, you know, you self-fund your way to these world majors and that's not a cheap thing to do. It costs yeah. a lot of money, not only training and time, um, in life raising children working getting mm-hmm. married all those things that you've done in the past few years but you've also funded yourself across the world to these events which costs a fortune like how can you tell someone like is there a trick to how you've been able to make it happen for you as just a regular person um is it just saving a certain amount of money each week like what's your little tip I guess to give people that might want to do this I've got it. It's like a another multi-level cake. Uh, during the pandemic, I was fortunate enough to still be working. I was a medical admin for the Northern Territory government, so it was the busiest five years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Felt like years. Um, so I am. I do acknowledge that I was really lucky to still have a job. Um, and during the lockdowns, I had to, I was um, redeployed to the testing station, so I wasn't without a job. And I'd had a few of these marathons lined up with the packages with Travelling Fit, uh, and I just kept on rolling them over. You know, it was scary times, and we didn't. I was worried that I'd had these thousands of dollars sitting with Travelling Fit and, you know, I was worried that a lot of, like, other travel agents were going bust. But I just kept my packages rolling over and rolling over and so that's how, one, I was able to, you know, still save during those two years Um, and I just had hope that things were going to return to some level of normal and I knew that it was really important at that time to keep my money with the agent because otherwise there wouldn't be any agent and 
Yeah, so um, having keeping those packages rolling over for two years um, definitely helped and that kind of made them go bang, bang, bang in quick succession. Mm. Uh, but uh, another thing that I do is um, I'm a very type A personality. I have spreadsheets already set up for 2024 events that I want to go to. And um, I'm so I'm saving always a year in advance at least. Mm. I'm waiting for sales to go on on the flights. Um, I did actually get lucky. I'd had my flights booked before the petrol prices went up. So oh. that was a lucky thing that I had. But I do pay myself $10 for every hour that I train. Um, because I do half Ironmans, those those hours really do start to to bank up, mm. uh, and but I do think that that's really important, especially mums. We put everyone else first, and but having to being healthy and having that time out where you can do your own little workouts and and still save money is is really important. Yeah. When I do do my trips, I unfortunately I can't afford to take the whole family. I do go by myself. Um, that's why I choose to go with Travelling Fit so that I am by myself, but I'm in the safety net of a group. Yeah. yeah. And that was going to be my next question is like, you know, how do you feel about leaving your family and I guess participating on your own without them there? I mean, I it's great that you're with a group of people and you're all doing the same thing and everyone's probably, you know, it's a lot of camaraderie, I would imagine, and you form connections within that group. But do you feel a little bit sad that, you know, your husband or your kids aren't there to see you cross the line? Of course. Um, my eldest son, Francis, are oh, you going to make me cry? Um, <laughs> his, his birthday always falls um, around Berlin mm. Marathon. and I actually travelled to Berlin in 2019 to run the marathon, but I got really sick when I was flying over and I wasn't able to participate and run on the day. So I got a DNS and I'd paid thousands of dollars to die alone in a hotel room pretty much. Um, and last year when I ran Berlin, it was Francis's 18th birthday. And... Yeah, mm. it is. I this is the first time I've really cried about it, but it is a lot of sacrifice. Um, Francis is a really good boy. He's not into partying or or drinking or anything like that. He just wanted a cake and um, some some new shoes. And I did say to him, you know, is it okay if I go away and run and I'm going to miss your birthday and yeah so it does come with sacrifice I missed his 18th but I had all I had I gave everyone in the house a present to give him on the day so they just got all I kept on getting all of these gifts oh. so yeah it does come with sacrifice it's not all daisies and sunlight yeah yeah 
But I guess the flip side of that is that they're watching their mum do something that's really important to her and that's changed her life. So I don't think that they would feel bad that you've missed certain times and they know you're there all the time. Do you know what I mean? You're there all the time. Um, You can celebrate, yeah, birthdays any day as well. Like, yes, it's his birthday, but you can celebrate that any day and you're there, you're present as a mother all the time and you're a good mum. So, yeah, I think you're showing your your kids um, what's important in life, that they can set goals and that they can go after them. And that they can dream big and that they can achieve anything they put their mind to. Um, and that they can change their lifestyle um, for the better by doing exactly what their mum's doing, you know, having an active, healthy lifestyle and and creating experiences um, to share, you know, yeah. with people. So, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask quickly, um, just back on the New York, when you went back in 2017, I was when I was looking through my uh, little Facebook of the RMA group and things that you'd posted in there. I wanted to ask about the international friends that you meet on these runs because, I mean, even though you're running on the other side of the world, the world is a big place but can be quite a small place when you think about connections that you make with people. Um, And I want to just read one of the things that you wrote in the group. And this is what I love about you because you don't post all the time, but when you do, it's just this little snippets of great stuff. Um, So you said... um, we have all made so many good friends through running and I want to share my latest running friend slash win (laughs) in 2014 before New York marathon. A lovely lady named Joanna was taking a selfie in the portaloo line being the awesome Aussies. We are my indigenous marathon project crew photo bombed her because we all do that in lines of, you know, yeah. What else are we going to do? Joanna and I started talking, exchanged names and became Facebook friends. Four years later, after staying in touch on social media, I came across to New York and stayed an extra week with her after the marathon, obviously. We found out we had so much in common and we both cried when I said goodbye to her this morning before my flight. I just love that. I just love that you're in a line going to the toilet. And I'm telling you now, it's amazing who you might meet in a portaloo line because one of my best friends and now um, RMA coach, Kath White, who you probably know, we yep. met in the portaloo line at Sydney 10. That's where we met years and years ago. That is where we met and we got talking about being mums and everything she asked us about our lives and now look at us all these years later. So tell us about your relationship with Joanna and and like how... Well, <laughs> poor thing, she can't get rid of me now. Um, she, when I I ran Chicago in 2019, and I actually booked an extra few days and went to New York and stayed with her again. <laughs> um, but it was really nice. Um, in 2017, after New York, um. She actually lived quite a few. She lives in Queens, which is about a 40-minute tram ride from um, Manhattan to Queens. So after the New York Marathon, I think she's an astronomical runner. She's a big, huge, she's a Boston qualifier multiple times over. So while I was still in Staten Island, um, she'd finished her marathon and (laughs) I set a key to the hotel and she had um had a shower, freshened up, went down to the bar, 
And I think I made it back in about three hours after that. So she's an astronomical runner. Um, So, yeah, we um, had a couple of drinks after the marathon in 2017, met up again in 2019 um, before Chicago Marathon. Um, I did go over to New York as well before we got to Boston, um, but the unable to kind of link up with her due to COVID. There's still a lot of um, fear around it in New York. So um, I, bless you, my cat's sneezing again. (laughs) The, I I respected her wishes and um, she didn't want to meet up face to face. So I I respected those and loved her from afar this year. Mm. So yeah. Hope, fingers crossed, when I go back to run New York or Boston again, I can tee up with her. Mm. I just love that. I love that we can meet people from all over the world at these places and we have such things in common. I just think it's really special that running and marathons <laughs> bring us together. Like, really, <laughs> who would have thought running would bring people together in that way? Um, what do you think would be your favourite world major event and why? Like, which one have you participated in that would be your favourite? For a long time, it was New York. And I was always thinking, oh, you know, I want to go back to New York. I want to run New York again. And um, I even, I had it all planned out, mm-hmm. Nicole. I was going to become a professional dog walker in New York. I was going to run the fast ones, the the beefier ones in the morning. Um and then I was going to have the little cute ones during the day and just take them to Central Park and um, <laughs> qualify for the New York Marathon that way by living in New York and doing all of their events, yeah. Um, but this year when I ran Boston, oh, this year, last week. Yeah. <laughs> and Boston, uh, it knocked New York off the perch. So Boston definitely my favourite. Yeah. The uh, Frank, my husband, was actually able to come with me for one trip, which was amazing. It was our first trip away together. And the, um, yeah, he was just like, man, is it is it always like this at your events? Because it's just electric here. And that was two days before the event yeah 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 there was signs in shop windows you know congratulations and all the best for the runners and hotels and different shops had custom made boston marathon shirts for their employees to wear like it was just it was in it was another level yeah Mm -hmm. Um, so boston's my new favorite sorry new york um it was nice knowing you uh, <laughs> she'll be back for boston not, not you it's me <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah my my 40th falls quite close to um boston in 2025 mm-hmm. so Fingers crossed I might be able to get over there for my 40th again. Yeah. And and Boston's whole marathon symbol is a unicorn. Mm. Like where do I sign? You know, my <laughs> favourite colour is glitter and 
unicorns are animals. I'm glad that on the emoji list they are on the animal icon things because they are animals. They are real. Yeah. <laughs> Run too many marathons, you might start seeing some unicorns. <laughs> um, <laughs> after this year's Boston Marathon, or last week's Boston Marathon, I should say, um, you did become the first Australian Indigenous woman to run all six world major marathons. So when we're talking about world majors, um, only 278 Australians have achieved this goal, according to an article I read, and 11,000 people in the world. So you're one of those 278 Australians. Uh, Anna Croge is another one. <laughs> She's done it too, which is amazing. Um Anna Croja. Oh, yeah. Yes, she's done it. Um, Claire Broadway, I think I just saw she's done it this year as well. Another girl I know, she's um, I follow. Um, But was this always a goal for you to make history as Australia's first Aboriginal woman to do this? Did you have that in the back of your mind or was it just something that eventuated? Like, It's definitely something eventuated. Like, of course, the key ring at the expo in 2014 yeah. was, I was like oh wow that's great an extra medal yeah. um but there you know um I was in the marathon project from 2014 and the first females ran in 2011 so I I just always thought that it was going to be one of the earlier girls you know and two girls in particular are quite fast they're Boston qualifiers on their own merit so I I never really had the idea that it was going to be me mm-hmm. um it's not something that I set out to do it's not something that I wanted I just kind of wanted the six for myself and for my family mm-hmm. um but yeah after the two years off and having uh, I think it was Berlin and Tokyo came up I was like oh I'm getting super close and there wasn't a spot for Boston um unfortunately someone had to pull out from traveling fit and so a spot became available Mm -hmm. and um so yeah I I took the spot and got my got my place Mm -hmm. yeah so everything kind of just fell into place um I don't think anyone thought that it was going to be me. Mm-hmm. And then when all of the stars kind of just stack up, they went, oh, she's really close. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you to be the first? What does that actually mean to you? I I think firstly the you know the I think the the stats that you've got they're they're the ones before this just recently so there must be more to um on that number now but yeah it's disproportionate between men and women you know I think at the time it was 378 Australians and only a hundred or so women Mm. and I was that's not fair you know we're making up more than 50 percent of runners at events you know it shouldn't 50 50 especially in Australia um 
So my first thought was evening those odds and getting it more um, reflective of the 50-50 that we see in running events in Australia. Uh, And being the first Indigenous was the cherry on top, you know. Um, Yeah, I... It's to me. It's more. It it's more so about being a female, evening up those odds. Yeah. And if I can share my story and motivate other people, indigenous, not indigenous, then yeah, then then that's a win for me. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. And you're doing a great job of that. Absolutely, doing a great job of that. Um, I wanted to quickly ask you about your half Ironman um, journeys because I was looking through a lot of your pictures and I know I have seen you running triathlons before, um, but like not only you double in marathons, but you double in half Ironmans. I mean, that's big. That's huge. Half Ironmans, they're huge. Like I just went to a triathlon the other day and it was just a sprint try. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that looks so hard. Swimming a kilometre. Like, but like half Ironmans, like how do you train for that as well? And what made you want to, um, we'll just briefly touch on this, but what made you want to do like triathlons as well? And it's particularly a half Ironman. <laughs> um well thank you thank you for the compliment uh the the half ironmans kind of fell about um i get really bad plantar fasciitis and i've had them in both feet for numerous years they're my second longest relationship actually you know um we've been together for six years now and it was more about training in other other legs to kind of keep myself fit enough um, and just ease off that pressure a bit. Um, I'm a quite a good swimmer. Well, not quite a good swimmer. Like I'm not a um, Liesl Jones or anything, but <laughs> a lot of people struggle to just put their head underwater. Um and, you know, my own father, he can't swim. He can't swim at all. And um, I didn't know it at the time. I accidentally almost drowned him, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> I feel I feel like it's with running, you know. Not everyone can run a marathon. You, as much as you, as much as everyone says, oh, everyone can marathon. No, you know, like some people have issues with their heart. Some people have blood pressure issues you know um arthritis all of that you know it's it's not possible for everyone to do it so i feel that if i have this gift and i can do it that i should do it i owe it to those who can't and i have that same feeling with the the half ironmans you know i'm i'm not i don't have any phobias with water um, I'm a strong swimmer and, you know, I can ride a bike for three hours. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. It's crazy to say, oh, you know, I'm going to swim 2K and run, oh, ride 90 kilometres and then I'm going to finish it off with a half marathon after that because other people can't do it. Um, it's it's insane when I hear it, but I, I just think that these are gifts that I've given and I feel awful when I'm not using them Mm, I love that answer so what half Ironman have you done 
Uh, my first one was on the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> it's really funny because in Darwin, I can't, I'm not, I can't do open water training, swimming because of the crocodiles. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a big, big problem. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I, once again, I'm at a disadvantage and I re, I went down to the sunny coast and it was Malulaba and the waves were really dumpy waves. <laughs> I was crying. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. You know, I was half writing my eulogy in my head. And <laughs> my cousin was saying to me, because she's from Darwin, but she's living in Brisbane now. And she goes, It's Lou, it's different from Darwin. It, you know, at nighttime, it's the waves are really dumpy, but in the morning when there's no wind, it's flat. And I just went, You're insane. <laughs> you're crazy crazier than me because in darwin it won't rain for five months and when it does start raining it doesn't stop raining for six months you know <laughs> just one or the other and but fair enough in the morning the, the, the water was flat and i survived <laughs> so um that was the sunshine coast was my first one and um I was lucky. I just felt lucky to be alive after that, actually. And <laughs> and and after that, I did uh, Melbourne. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's Melbourne, but it's in St Kilda, mm -hmm. not too yeah. um, Brighton Beach. Mm -hmm. And my last one was in Busselton in Western Australia. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. You like a little um, energizer bunny. <laughs> well, you know, I I've got a good engine under the hood, yeah. Yes. But I I feel I feel like I do need to say it because I know this happens to a lot of mums. But when I go to expos to pick up my bibs and or if I'm asking. Um, volunteers about something they will always automatically assume that I'm doing the 10k or that I'm not there for the event it even happened in Boston I asked a guy who had this really cool Boston marathon shirt on I was like oh that shirt's really cool where'd you get that from you know because there's different outlets that are selling different merchandise and he had what I wanted <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes oh um it's it's for the marathon and I was like, what a shit, Sherlock. Like, Do you know Mar who I am? <laughs> no, who I am, hair flick. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I afterwards I'll be in the, oh, actually um, before, the, before the run in Boston I was in the elevator and I was talking to these runners and um, they assumed that it was my first marathon. They go, oh, is this your first marathon? And I said, oh, no, um, it's my sixth star. And they went, oh, wow, you know. <laughs> so I, I get this all the time. If I go to an expo, people will try to start leading me towards the 10K desk. Um, no, honey, I'm, I'm here for the marathon or I'm here for the half marathon. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. 
that listeners, yeah, it happens to me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I love RMA because it's just so vast of the, just so many different types of people, different body types, different backgrounds, different everything, different ages, and yet we are all crushing it like in the marathons <laughs> and the ultras and the half Ironmans and the Ironmans like hello yeah. look mm-hmm. at us so, and, yeah. and you know and the amount of anyone who you know takes time out of their day to train to go to, and travel to, to take these events on they're all sacrificing stuff they're all working really hard it doesn't matter whether it's the 10k or the 42k there's amazing amount of sacrifice and determination and effort that's being put in anyway so only women understand that guys not so much (laughs) yeah I truly truly agree with that um I wanted to ask about how uh you know just some of the barriers to especially in indigenous communities I guess around active lives and health and well-being and one of the things that you set up like in Darwin was your running and walking group, the Darwin Deadly Runners. Um, before I go into that, though, I, I just wanted to share a little post that you wrote when you lived in Catherine. So this this just gives people a little bit of background about like your mindset and, and just how giving you are to your community that wherever you are living. Like you haven't just lived in Darwin or, you know, you've lived in Catherine. As you said, you've been, you know, to lots of different places. And I just wanted to share about that this journey you've been on isn't just about you, but you love to give back to other people as well. So this is what you wrote in RMA. I just wanted to share with you guys because I know you will truly understand I have started a little running group of Indigenous ladies in Catherine, which just makes my heart sing when I read that. I just think that's beautiful. I just love it. It only takes one person, right, to just start something. Most mummies, mostly mummies, I'm so happy. I call them my little tadpoles because they're evolving and making ripples of change in the Catherine Pond. My friend Belinda Clout swapped me a water belt for a running skirt so I can be the camel for my girls when they run so they can focus on stride instead of grappling water bottles. I've got a girl adding a kilometre to her run and still splitting 14 minutes of her time and a young girl keen to lose 30 kilograms. Thinking of a group name so I can get wristbands, smiley face. Let me know if you'd like one. You can be a part of our tadpole pond. I love that because not only were you starting something amazing in community with mums or women, women, you know, we were talking about women running, right? So women specifically because you can see a need, right? Um. You were then inviting all the other women around Australia to join and be part of your tadpole pond. <laughs> I just thought it was so beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, um, you said too at the end of that post, the best bit is I'll never have to run alone again. And Ooh. their health and they're getting fit and healthy for their families, right? But running first. And I just love yeah. that. What what is it about? starting that group and then again when you started the Darwin Deadly Runners that was in the back of your mind being why you wanted to do that like not everyone can do that or wants to do that but what was it for you about why you wanted to create something like that definitely um I just wanted to create a running family like of people who it was just a safe space kind of like with with RMA you know 
a space where everyone could just be supported and valued regardless of you know background religion or or yeah so one of the rules for the running group was if you were a graduate or an, an already esteemed runner you would push the pram for the mum who was learning how to run just so that she could get used to the natural movement you know the pendulum effect with the running um learning how to run soft hands soft shoulders you know um so it was just about building that little community you know they say it takes a village I was just wanted to build a village yeah and um it was great Frank my now husband also had a daddy daycare where he would take care of kids (laughs) while while the mums ran and yeah no that was the rule if you were an esteemed runner and if you were an experienced runner you would push the pram and mum would um, take that time to focus on posture and 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 good running technique yeah I love that I love that I'm going to totally adopt that in my next running group that the, the people that are the great runners have been there before you can be with the pram pushes for those who are just starting out that is so good I love that congratulations you know you can run five K in 20 minutes here have a prank <laughs> yeah. yeah let's see you go now <laughs> with a with a 12 kilo child in it <laughs> there's nothing more humbling than pushing a pram or running I reckon percent. <laughs> and the, another thing that I think the runners really enjoyed was when we started out with the intervals of running and then recovery um I made it so that the fast runners at the start would come back Mm. to the back and high five along the way so that we weren't getting these enormous distances between the first runner and the last runner Um, especially as the weeks go by when the running intervals get longer and the walking intervals get shorter Um, and, and from a coaching perspective as well you need everyone in a relatively smaller area yeah not yeah. as a part so yeah and and I think that was one of the things that everyone loved about the group mm. that it wasn't about being the fastest because if you were the fastest you congratulations you're gonna <laughs> high five your way back to the group <laughs> that's it or um, you're gonna get the pram <laughs> don't I mean, everyone's it. like oh, I'm really slow today I'm really slow <laughs> oh I just love that you know it's creating community and I'm sure that those girls weren't just coming along because they thought they could just get fit right that's not what it was all about because fitness takes work and it's hard work what do you think made them keep coming back you know we um we grew as a family we had uh, a young mum who had a really young child and up out of nowhere, her partner jumped on a plane and left. It was heartbreaking. We were heartbroken and we just got together as a community, helped, you know, she found a more suitable accommodation for her and the younger children because she'd just been 
left completely by herself mm. and um, had this baby and, you know, she secured different accommodation. We helped her do her bond clean, helped her move, mm. everything. It was a, a, just a family. We just created a family. Mm. Yeah. It was, was, was awful, but it's we all came together and helped and we were just as heartbroken. Yeah, she actually came to the run group that day and was in tears. But it was she came, I guess, she felt safe and she knew that, you know, someone would push a pram for her while she ran for 30 minutes to just let it out. Yeah, and that's what it's about, right? It's so much about that community and connection. The running's just the vehicle, but what the running allows us to learn and create in our circles and our friendships and our community um, is really the best lesson, I guess, and the things that we get out of the running, <laughs> out of the vehicle. Um, yeah. So are those like groups still going now, like the Darwin Deadly Runners and that grouping, Catherine, like are, are they still, are people still connected and still running? Yeah, there's actually a um, a new graduate who graduated in 2022. Uh, Sissy Dawn, her name is. She lives in Catherine, um, a friend of mine, and she's. I'm yeah, she's living in in Catherine, and I'm hoping making those ripple effects that I did. You know, I'm one of many. The marathon project graduates who finish the program go out and do all of these amazing things sometimes it's not running groups you know another gentleman um ran some ridiculous ultra marathon and raised money for a dialysis machine in his community Mm -hmm. and it was that people didn't have to travel to town that they could access you know this life-saving machine in their community with their support networks so yeah I'm definitely yeah I'm I'm a glimmer in the pan but there's there's so many of us who have just graduated the project and have just gone on to do amazing things and change communities Mm, yeah and and congratulations for doing that because as I said not everybody well not everybody is brave enough like it takes courage to put yourself out there and start something and it does take a lot of commitment and hard work and sacrifice like you said not only is it sacrificing you know time it's sacrificing time with your family you know sacrificing time out of your own day um and you know spending time with others but I guess you know as you said just seeing the benefits and things that come out of of these things is pretty special yeah yeah like um, it's like any sporting group or organisation that are relying on volunteers to do it. You know, there's absolutely no way you'd be able to afford to pay those people. But all of these great things come from people just uh, donating their time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I wanted to quickly touch back on what you said earlier about the ceremony that you had for your grandma. Can you oh, quickly yeah. talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to touch. I just wanted to touch on it because um, I know that there will be so many people in RMA um, who want to be 
educated and they want to do the right thing, but sometimes they're just not 100% sure. So I just wanted to break it down a little bit easier. Um, But, you know, when, when I talk about my Aboriginal group and my rules and, you know, the skin name that we were talking about, um, those don't necessarily fit to every other Aboriginal group in Australia. You know, we all have our different rules. We all have our different languages. It's kind of like saying um, or assuming that people in Canberra are exactly the same as people in the Northern Territory. You know, mm. we're, yeah. We're really different. Yeah. Um, and so the one thing I notice um, that is different from other groups cultures and groups is that I will share photos of my grandma and I will say her name um for Yolnu people in the Northern Territory that's a big no-no you know they're disrespectful they wouldn't they won't even say their name and if you unfortunately have the same name as someone who's passed away no one's going to say your name until the right cultural procedures have happened you know like yeah so I know it can be confusing for mainstream Australia they go oh you know like these people demand that we don't say this person's name but then they'll see me you know just blatantly wearing my grandma's name on my shirt Mm. and it's because it's the different the different rules yeah so I do run with my grandma's name on my shirt. Um, It has been 10 years since she passed, so uh, culturally it's okay for that. Um, And also we did have a ceremony, which we call a chalak ceremony. It's spelt, if you had to spell it, T-J-U-L-U-K. And it's a ceremony that we do after someone has passed away. It's not done immediately like a funeral. It's done a few years afterwards. And what it's about is if you think of a person as a puzzle, like an entire puzzle, throughout your life you give pieces of yourself to your family, yeah? Yep. So you're um, as a mum, as a wife, um, you you would give the biggest pieces to your husband and then your children, but equally so your siblings as well. And the chalak ceremony that we have is about us giving back those pieces that were given to us so that my grandma can be whole and go to the I guess afterlife but to us it's the the, back to the dream time yeah Mm -hmm. so we had that ceremony a few years ago and my grandpa being the who had the biggest pieces of my grandma walked through the ceremony first we have cleansing with the smoke we're a freshwater people, so we had another way of cleansing with water. And it's about giving back those little puzzle pieces so my grandma can um, be whole in for the rest of eternity. Yeah. Aww. So, yeah. So, um, so my grandpa went through first and then her siblings that were still remaining. Uh, my grandma was one of nine. 
and then my aunties and uncles and then we've all just kind of gone through, said our last goodbyes and kind of released her, gave our pieces back. Yeah. So now that that um, ceremony has finished and those formalities have been done, um, we're kind of free to share her image, say her name and talk about that. Yeah. But in other in other communities and other clans, their rules are different. Oh, thanks for clarifying that. That's just, well, one, it's just beautiful. I just love that. I love the, the sound of that ceremony. Um, but also because, yeah, there might be people listening to this that don't understand why you are, why we have mentioned her name um, and, you know, you have put <laughs> pictures out. No, other people. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So it's great. And I guess it's kind of like when you hear on um I watch a lot of ABC or you know SPS on maybe it's yeah. my I don't know. I just enjoy documentaries and things and they yeah. always have that, you know, thing this, beforehand. Yeah, yeah. So although my grandma um it's okay for me and you know, she's my screensaver on my phone, that's kind of just giving heads up to someone who has a different rule that oh you know I can listen but I'm not going to watch yeah. yeah 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 so funny story a friend of mine actually um lived in a community and her neighbors were um from the Arnhem land and my friend's my friend's dog actually had the same name as a person in their family that had passed away so <laughs> They just called him a different name. The dog. <laughs> <laughs> a completely different name because they weren't allowed to say that name. Wow. Yeah. And the dog probably didn't come. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. obedient dog yeah. that week. <laughs> um, but we all still do things like that in our family. Like uh, my dad won't say what my mum's skin name is, you know, before mm-hmm. I was saying I'm. Um, Nungari and my um, children will be, will be Nungala, you know. Um, my dad won't say her skin name. I have to ask my grandma sisters. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And my when my grandma grew up, she, I know one of my earliest memories was her saying, you know, who she couldn't, could talk to and not talk to. And it was just all about the the network, the skin names of poison relationships or right skin yeah just think so interesting so interesting thanks for sharing that because so many people listening to this wouldn't even know that that's a thing like so I love I just love learning about culture and I really love learning about Aboriginal culture so thank you for sharing that I would love you to share more with me when when we're offline about different things like that I would love to learn more um because I've got yeah, a funny even... story if you want to hear it. What was that? I've got a funny story if you want to hear it. Yeah, all right. Tell me. <laughs> so um, as Nungari, I have kind of two options of people I could marry this, by their skin name. And the main one is Jumpin' Gina. And one night in my 20s, I was out in Catherine, went to the nightclub and as you do, we afterwards, you know, after the nightclub when you go to get a kebab yes. or a pizza, well, the Catherine equivalent of that is BP. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> so I went to BP and um, I had my chicken wings and I was walking through the car park and um, this Aboriginal guy called out to me. He goes, hey, sis, you, where are you from? Because this is like finding out if you're related so that you could date. And um, I said, oh, I'm, I'm Lyra, uh, Nungari, like that. And <laughs> he was a great wingman. He, he wasn't the right skin for me, but he was started dragging his friend over. He goes, oh, Jumpin' Gina is my friend. My, he's he's Jumpin' Gina, Jumpin' Gina, right skin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I love it. I love it. And definitely ingrained, yeah, this we have all of these rules and networks and yeah. yeah yeah i love it all right well what is your next goal like can you share with us if you have a goal coming up Ooh, yeah i um mums other mums are going to love this uh, my next i actually got a lottery spot for berlin mm-hmm. so i um uh, it's. I'm going to go back this year, and my dad's seventieth also falls in September. So I've taken. I'm going to take him for his seventieth birthday. Yeah, which will be really fun. Oh, my okay. my dad's parents. My grandma's Aboriginal, and my grandpa is German. Hence the Ludwig or yes. Ludwig yeah. in yeah. Germany. So that will be really good. He's my grandpa was born in Australia, but obviously we have um, German roots. So we're going to go back and I'll take my dad over there and show him around. Um, But I've done the I've done the typical um, wife mum thing, and I've decided that I'd really like to do the Cairns Half Ironman. It's in seven weeks, so. Have to I have to convince my husband when I finish this interview and he gets out of the shower. <laughs> well, you... I mean, you're already gonna you're already gonna have run what? When's Berlin? Berlin's in September. Oh, okay. So you want to do cans before that? So okay, I was gonna say you already have had the marathon down pat, but no. <laughs> it's it's good training. Mm. It's good training. That's true. Yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, I'm going to leave you to that. I don't, I don't have any advice for you. <laughs> Just cook him a really good dinner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they always say the way to a man's heart is through their food, so <laughs> through their stomach. So <laughs> work on it that way, perhaps. Maybe. I don't know. Um, okay. Well, good luck with that. Hopefully, I see some pictures with you doing cans, um, and then. <laughs> Berlin later in the year would be amazing. Uh, I would just love to do all these world majors. Every time I speak to someone about a world major, which is quite a lot of people actually on the podcast, it makes me want to go and do one. Um, But I just wanted to finish with the RMA Heart Lap. So at the end of every podcast, we do uh, five quick questions. Um, So I've curated a few for you. So the first one is what... Would you say, and it doesn't have to be an, a race by any means, just any time, what would be your favourite running moment if you could choose one? Uh, um, 2014, New York, I was running and I was in the middle of uh, of the pack, so it was like 
three lanes across and I was right in the middle of the right in the middle of the mix and over to the left about 20 meters away I saw a stranger but she had a I think she had like a um a boxing kangaroo flag the Aussie one mm. and from like 20 meters away I've locked eyes with her she's seen me and I've seen her we've pointed at each at each other and gone Australia <laughs> typical Aussie style <laughs> just a complete random stranger but yeah it was Australia <laughs> but we'd all do exactly that <laughs> if it was any of us you're not alone we'd all do it and it's funny that we think saying Australia is <laughs> good it sounds so Aussie so good. Yeah, Bogan. <laughs> but we're so proud of it. So whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, what is or who has been maybe your biggest inspiration on your journey? Ooh. Um I have a friend who trains really, really hard and she trained in Melbourne during those five years of lockdowns mm. and she actually ran a Boston qualifying time in the Melbourne marathon last year and then took and then and then so she ran Boston this year with me um I just think that she's amazing and I'm not sure if if it's in, inspirational to do what I do because I'm already doing it but I really do tip my hat to her that um Sometimes the chips are down and she just keeps on chipping away at it. Mm. Yeah, I think she's, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I think she's an astronomically good runner and um, she's a busy mum, she's a business owner and I know how hard she works and I, I, I admire that. Yeah, I think admires more the word, yeah. Yeah, I love that. All right, um, what is... The thing that you can't go without on a long run, the one thing you can't go without? My visor. Okay, good. Yeah, because it's like a blanket, a safety blanket for me now. Uh, I have short hair, so if my fringe is getting in my face, it will annoy me. Uh, but also it's like super hot in Darwin, so the visor stops the sweat from going down my face. Yes. Yeah, I've tried a few times running without one and no, not a good idea. <laughs> Especially when you get sweat in your eye and then you can't see. Not good. Especially on the trail, you can't see. <laughs> not good. Yeah. All right. What's the best advice you were given about running? I think um, nothing new on race day. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And... And also the um, when you're doing your long runs and you just need to think that every single step past your last longest distance is a, is a new record. So, yeah, if your longest run to date was 10K and you've done 10 and a half, you know, that's all of those extra steps are records. Mm, I love that. All right, the last one is what is the biggest lesson that you have learned 
on your journey that you want to impart? Oh, um, when you say lesson, like more tactical or? Well, no, like what have you learned about yourself, I guess, and that you want to share? Like if someone else was where you were in 2013, for example, Mm -hmm. what have you learned about yourself on your journey that you would impart with someone like that? Um, you know, other people will have a lot of opinions about what you're doing or think that maybe you shouldn't run or maybe you're wasting your time or maybe you're, you know, oh, running's bad for your knees. Mm -hmm. Um, at the end of the day, they don't have to, they're not going to be the people that are in your body. You have to do what's right for you and whether they understand that or not, it's irrelevant. And what people think of you is irrelevant and really it's not any of your business because they can think what they think. What you think about yourself and what the people who you love think about you is is the only thing that really matters. Yeah. No one has to understand why you run a marathon or why you want to break 25 minutes for park run. Mm. It really, like, at the end of the day, you're the only person in your body. So you're the only person that you need to keep happy. Mm. Yeah. So true. So true. <laughs> and, you know, we're just going to stop listening to what the negative, you know, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, like, hmm didn't want to share a lot about your journey because there's always the 1% of negativity, you know. Um, yeah. But in the end, that's not what we should be focusing on. It's the positive stuff and the people in our corner that do cheer us on and there will always be people. There will always be people that, that want to bring us down. But yeah, you've proven time and time again that you rise above that and rise above those negative Uh, yeah to be honest like I still since coming back there's been like a radio a a radio uh an online magazine and an actual printed newspaper that want to do an interview but I've said no because you know of all of the hateful things that have been put on the internet has really had a negative effect on my um mental health Mm. but yeah like you've just told me I need to take my own advice and yeah it's it is tough though um it it just amazes me that there's so many people out there who have no idea about you but they assume you know that everything like I don't even know how but people just assume that a marathon was handed to me Mm and I haven't had to you know pay for anything it's just really amazing but mm-hmm. I couldn't ever ever imagine saying that to someone who um qualified for an event and just said oh you must have taken drugs <laughs> yeah or you take a taxi in yeah. between like how did you cheat your way to this mm-hmm. you know um but I don't know. Um, for me, I'm like an open target. People can just 
assume that I haven't had to pay for stuff or um, I even actually had a runner of all people um, say that I shouldn't bore people with my story because it's I'm not even really that great. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Well, hopefully people listen to this conversation so they actually get the real truth. Yeah. How hard you have worked and how you have had to sacrifice and get yourself to the starting line of all these marathons and places you go and work hard, you know, and you do that while being humble, being a mom, working, you know, having your own family business, working as well. Like it's just Mm -hmm. don't worry about what the people say. (laughs) Just worry about what you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us and thank you for the privilege of you sharing your story on the RMA podcast because I know there's a lot of women who are in your corner when it comes to RMA and are so excited to listen to this conversation. So thank you for carving out like two hours. I could go on and on for hours and hours more, but I I know that our podcast, two hours is a great time to be able to go for a long run. So I hope anyone who's listening... To this episode today has had a great run because <laughs> I know I'd be just continuing my run until it's over. So that's a good two-hour run. That might be a record for a lot of people who are listening today. Uh, yeah. Where can people follow on your journey? Like where's somewhere that you sort of share Ooh. mostly? Um, I am not a re- I'm not a very good sharer on Facebook. I actually am more on Instagram more yep. so. Yep. Um, and it's Alira underscore runs. Yeah. So A double L I double R A underscore runs because I'm, I, it took me ages to think of that name. <laughs> it's exactly what you do. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, um, I'll share that in the show notes anyway. So people can go on and, and, and follow along your journey and all the amazing things that you're going to do. And hopefully people get to see you participating in Cairns Half Ironman. coming up i'll let you go and work on that but um yeah thanks so much alira for coming on today all right thank you thank you for joining us and listening into alira's story what an amazing woman and what an inspiring story that was you can follow alira's journey over on instagram and if you want to know more about the world major marathons i will also put the link to that in the show notes Thank you for listening to the podcast each time we air. I'm so happy to bring these amazing guests to you. I know that it is a little bit more sporadic than it was in the last few years, but there's more guests coming this year on the horizon. I can't wait to share their stories. Thank you to those that reach out to me and appreciate listening to the podcast and share their thoughts and insights. I just love hearing from you and how these stories are impacting your own lives. Please make sure that you listen to all the stories that we have aired so far on the podcast and share them with your friends. Subscribe, rate and review so that more people are able to also find this podcast and get it into their ears. I look forward to sharing in the next episode with you when we air in a few weeks time. Until then, I hope you are safe and well wherever you are and I'll speak to you next time.